I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. This is number 204 in our series of webinars for horses and horse people. So um, I've stopped talking about the pandemic because I think we're coming out of that now, and we're still going to keep rolling with these webinars as long as I have people willing to be my guests. Um, it seems like we do. We're full for the month of May, so be sure that you go to the Murdoch Method website and Join our email list so that you get the email every Sunday that tells you all the guests for the week. And of course, subscribe to the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel so that you get a notification whenever I post a webinar. I don't always put them up at the time that they're recorded. You know, I have, life happens and I usually have to run out the door after a webinar. So if you just subscribe, you'll get the notification and that way you don't have to worry about when we're going to post it. Today, my guest is one of my very special and dearest friends, Allie Thurston. Um, Allie and I met each other back in 1989. I think so. 89. Um, when I was uh, had returned from Australia after living there for a year and was living in uh, Connecticut. And I was a team practitioner at the time. And we met because I was doing a team clinic at New Canaan Mounted Troop um, in New Canaan, Connecticut. And we have been fast friends ever since. Um, I'll let Allie introduce her credentials and her background, but uh, needless to say, we are kind of like sisters of a different mother and we have our own language sometimes. If you've ever had a twin or been around people that are that close, um, we tend to talk in half sentences. I'm just warning you in case this conversation goes that way and you need to pop something in the chat and say, excuse me, you only said half of that thought. <laughs> It's totally fine to interrupt us so that we can make sure that you understand what we are talking about. So welcome, Allie. Thank you so much. For, it's taken so long to have you as a guest. I'm so excited that you're finally here. Thank you. And I am devoted to being adult today and completing my sentences and not talking at warp speed. Uh, when Wendy and I taught years ago in New Zealand, they had never seen anything like it or heard anything like it because not only did we not complete sentences, we interrupted each other to finish each other's sentences and laughed at all of our own jokes. So yes, they didn't get. <laughs> so for me, in the uh, when I met Wendy, um, I was on the board of a lot of horse organizations and I was responsible for clinics. So I hired her uh, for several clinics after I saw her at Troop solely for my benefit. <laughs> Uh, and away we went. So we've always been interested in um, weird things. No matter how long we haven't seen each other for, when we see each other, we're doing the same thing, but a different spin. Yes. So over the years, the um, art of teaching littles is what we started with. We worked together teaching Pony Club. And from that, we learned that if you can teach kids, you can teach anybody. And you can experiment with new ideas and the kids don't know it. <laughs> uh, so that involved a lot of centered riding, a lot of where's the middle, and it involved supplying them with horses, helping them find horses that weren't going to wipe them off under a branch, although- That did happen. <laughs> they weren't exempt. Uh, yes, because we didn't vet that horse before it showed up, yes. <laughs> so my horse career started when I was little, the person at the birthday parties that uh, never had the cake because I was doing the pony rides was at while everybody else was inside and apparently horse fever doesn't go away 40 something years later. I am still in the horse business uh, and it's had many, I've had many journeys, a lot of competition, coaching, multiple disciplines, but a big chunk was indeed pony club 
because that was when I was the a, mom, a single mom and I had to meet the bus to get my own kids home. And it was very convenient to go and do lessons for that organization. But I'm interested in um, dance movement and in movement studies. I'm interested in horse types and personalities. And so today talking about my kingdom for a horse, the last time I did a, a lecture on how to shop for a horse was in 2006. And that group was, were kids, parents of kids. Uh, and so that emphasis on first time horse shopping um, was what that emphasis was. But today kind of the 101 part is they're the very important part of self-assessment. In that um, there are many bullet points that come under that. And then the issue of pricing and budgeting and then sort of the top 10 lists for the person shopping for the horse, what's your wish list? And that list will have what I want versus what I need. And then um, there should be a list from a trainer or a trusted person that is more about what you need. Um, and then there are the how to find sources and then the wonderful art of reading ads. What do they mean? <laughs> So um, so whatever we have time for and whatever kind of questions come up, um, we'll gallop through different, different parts. But the self-assessment, I think for me, I'm gonna jump down to the, I started calling it sort of top 10 mistakes and realized there were way more than 10. Mm -hmm. And the number one at the top of the list is that the um, failure to, to, to ask for help that you, you know, in shopping for a horse, that you don't have somebody that knows more than you do, has more than experience than you do to help guide you in the process. Um, and I- More a little bit about the type, of, maybe you're going to the type of help you want, because, you know, I can see somebody uh, taking their daughter with them as help. And I, and I also have people that know somebody in Kentucky and that person is never going to see the horse. They don't know how the rider, what level of expertise. Uh, and, and the important thing about suitability is in the self-assessment is what's your confidence level? W will you ride on a windy day in an open field? Well, you know, will you be the first one that teaches a horse how to go through a puddle? Or are you only planning to stay in the ring? And so there's no good, bad, right, wrong. It's being realistic. Uh, but the you know, other top 10 mistakes is um, impulse buying, buying love at first sight, looking for your heart horse. And, we, and I know, you know we as nurturers, we want that connection. So we, we, we sort of look for a special feeling. He looked at me a certain way. And while that might be a quality that's there, there are other way more important ones that should be on the list. Um, and that includes, uh, Allie, nowadays, so many people are horse shopping online and watching right. video. Right. And so in that, you know, in the self-assessment part before, everybody has been shopping online. Um, and that's kind of the dream, the dream horse is one of the names of the sites and my perfect horse. And that's a one a fun exercise that for me, the dream horse is extremely bright. It's a self-francais. Am I ever going to get one? No. <laughs> you know, does it suit my needs now? You know, I've come back from a three-year recovery from an injury. I am not about to get on a hot-blooded 
animal at the moment. So it doesn't suit my needs at the moment. But if you looked at my resume about how much riding I've done in the disciplines of hell bent for leather, cross country, jump tall buildings. Yeah, I did that and was really fit at one point. But now if I sit on a tornadic spin, I'm, you know, probably, well, I haven't had to test it to see now that I've returned to riding. To at this point. <laughs> right, I've promised my children I will never get on a horse that I haven't seen somebody else ride first. Um, which is, you know, one of those things that when you go for the shopping, that you also want to make sure that you see somebody else on the horse first. So in my other top 10 uh, mistakes is underestimating the cost of the care. Um, so you may need a new saddle because it's a giant. Um, you know, you, you didn't realize that it adds up when they get sick. It's not like a trip for a small animal vet. Um, and if you get a horse that doesn't have the experience that you want, then you're paying for it in lessons. Um, and um, to add to that, free horses are not free. Right, right. It's the, the ongoing expense. And so other mistakes are uh, the inexperienced horse with the inexperienced rider, that you're going to be paying that much money in training, so you might as well up your budget if you can you know, at the beginning. So in the, the pricing part these days, I'm gonna, we'll, we'll jump around. That's kind of something that we do. It's called the pinball. Um, you know, in the, in the pricing these days, the um, stratospheric elite is in the millions of dollars now. And that's for the, you know, sport of kings, people that wanna play big uh, are paying in the millions to get the horse that does what it said that will be a player on the international Seen. I'm guessing we don't have a lot of those shoppers here today. Um, but you know that for your self-assessment, what's your highest amb ambition? Because it affects the vetting. And what's your intended use? Do you want to try and go to the Olympics? <laughs> you know, and or what are your goals? Is it just for fun and dabbling, or um, are you goal-oriented that you want to compete? Uh, you you know, what other goals would there be? Some people want to show, some people just want to learn. Um, some people want to go out pack, backpacking, you know, and trekking. Uh, other people uh, have the dream of running on the beach. So, you know, there's the goal doesn't have to be a competitive one in terms of our typical show. Um, it, it can be a huge, bright, you know, like maybe you want to do mounted archery or driving or you know, wh whatever your passion is, but it's important to be realistic about what you want to do so that you look for a horse that is fit for the job. And yeah. so often people, uh, you know, buy a horse wanting it to do one job and it's absolutely the job the horse doesn't want to do. Um, and there are some horses that are very good at a job that seems like they would be good at something in that same field. So in fox hunting, if it's a good field horse, that means he hangs with horses well, but that doesn't mean he'll lead over fences. So that horse may not be a good eventing horse. He may not do well by himself. And so deciding what your goal is, even if it's you have property and you wanna do a rescue, um, it still will affect the vetting. So if you intend to do a hundred mile endurance rides, um, that's going to be a different level of fitness than having a spin on the beach. 
Right. And, and then being realistic about the time that you have available. If, if you're planning to board the horse, that already says that you will only be relating to your horse in windows, as opposed to when you have the horse at home, where you're relating to them when you're feeding them and um, at different times. And so the care for them, where you have to hold them for the blacksmith or bring them in and get their riding time is it's, it's easy to be unrealistic that when I get my horse, I'm gonna do this five days a week. And so when you're looking for a suitable horse, if you get a horse that whose fitness needs are um, to be ridden five days a week, it's like owning a border collie and putting them in an apartment, you know, that, that, that they won't be as billed because their needs aren't being met. So, and then the realistic part about your riding ability that my riding ability, I still can maintain upper level use of my seat uh, for seated work, but I just started standing in my irons after three years. So I wouldn't go galloping down to a wall and jump over it, even though before, you know, that was, I didn't really ever give a second thought to that. So uh, you may have had a history of being good. I was good once, <laughs> but the reality is, Post-COVID, how fit are you? Um, well, and I, I think you bring up a good point in that, you know, I look at, there's like three different categories of, of rider horse owners. The, the people that have grown up with horses and matured with horses and had horses all their lives. Um, there's a different sense of aging and aging with horses and changing values of what's important when they're looking for a new horse. Um, there's the people that had a horse as a kid or rode as a kid, had a big long break, and when they return, they still have the ideals of that childhood memory of what I, I you know, I used to be so brave and do all this. And so there's um, a disconnection between what they did and what they can do now. And then, of course, you have the group of women that weren't able to have a horse as a child, and now they're coming into, they've been riding and they want to get their first horse. And so uh, Ali, I'm, I'm sure that you've seen this, that there's a difference in mature, emotional maturity level when making choices about buying a horse in those three groups. Yeah, and I also see that's an enormous demographic when you look at horse owner demographic. It's the, you know, 30 to 56 year old, and then there's another batch of, geez, I might be needing a knee replacement. I don't fall so easily or... I do fall easily, but I don't bounce quite as well. And so that reality of, uh, regardless of what age demographic you are, of do you need a huge moving horse if you have knee problems and hip problems? So, you know, th that reality of, if you're not sure, then hopefully you're working with someone that you can ask and get them to weigh in. And that is in my top 10 things list for the, um, trainer, they should come up with a list of what they think you need. You get to come up with the list of what you want and you think you need. And then you try and match the two, the things that are in common. And then you may have to get to that point of what can you do without on your list to be able to keep it in the price range that you need or the reality of where you keep the horse. So, so in that rank those needs and wants hmm? priority, is it a good idea to rank them? Yes. Yes. So uh, when the, one of the times that I did that was a junior moving from a push button pony, this was Blake, that did absolutely everything, no matter who the rider was, found the takeoff spot. 
to a horse. And because it was Pony Club, a tight budget, so it was the thoroughbred off the track that it had 30 days of training. Um, and the mom's list was the horse must be able to be capable of being sold before the child goes to college. And so that meant that they needed to keep the horse in training so that they didn't wreck the horse's training. Very easy to do with the 30 day wonder, particularly at the four, five and six, you know, that's an age where you, they can be trained, but boy, if you don't know your stuff, it's easy to teach them something you don't want them to know. Mm -hmm. So in that reality check of your riding ability and also your training ability, and then I think you need to ask yourself, where, you, where will you keep the horse? Is it going to be stabled? Is it going to have turnout? Is it, you know, is it going to be boarded? Is it going to be home? And so you might have a home setting like I did where the horses were in the garage, or you might have acres and acres. So there's going to be a different dynamic, whether you have other horses, it's a solo horse. And if it's in a boarding scenario, when you're allowed to ride and how much time you can, um, spend there and plus the financial burden of a boarded horse that sometimes you have to use the shoer that the uh, facility uses and they may be the $250 a visit guy. Uh, so that is something. And then, you know, the, um, what, what style of horse do you like? Do you like a spirited, hot, more woe than go? Um, that's another sort of self-assessment I like bright and clever horses. Those are the horses that um, pick locks. They redecorate their stall. They come in from turnout without, with other horses with dings all over them because they're a nudge. They pester horses. I like a horses with character, but that same horse with somebody that doesn't have the experience about setting up boundaries can be you know, the one that's too much in your face that is a groper um, and, and it's dangerous around children. And because Wendy and I ran a program that was about safety and children, if the horses didn't have the appropriate manners, we taught them. We, we did a mismanners when the child is six years old, comes into the stall with feed and points to the back of the stall, the horse goes and stands at the back of the stall till the kid puts the feed in. And when they halter the head, the horse has to drop his head. So in shopping, uh, you know, I want to know those kind of things. It, would this horse be safe around my husband if I said to him, bring the hor you know, horses in for me? Uh, could, could you do that? Uh, or if you have kids, I mean, my kids at you know, six and 11 <laughs> to bring the horses in while I went to work. Uh, so, and then some realistic things about on the, on the wants need list versus the need list, people will often do things like three good gates. And the bottom line is, do you need three good gates if, you're, if you never intend to canter? If you're doing a rescue where you want to spend the time on the ground learning about horse language, then you don't need three good gates. So, you know, in that list of what style and it, um, discipline or what are, you, what are you interested in, I see a lot of people that will get the best quality moving they horse that they can find in the event that they should be more fully immersed in showing. So they focus a lot on the videos, the quality of movement. And a lot of that, the work that Wendy and I do about making postural changes and helping the horse improve the quality of movement. If you're not competing at the upper levels, um, you perhaps don't need to pay that 
price. So, and, uh, and also, are you capable of riding those kinds of gates? Right. So for the, um, you know, the horse being ridden by the kid, there's the old adagio that the kid and the horse's age should equal more than 21. Right? <laughs> should oh, add up to 21. Yeah, I haven't heard that one actually. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, my advice often to the demographic of women who have the checkbooks now is to buy the horse that you can enjoy when they step off the trailer. And the exception to that is if you, if you can say that in the past couple of years, I've had three horses, had this one for two years, this one for five years. If you're actively training and having horses, then you're, you're game, you're up to the game. But if you've had the same horse that you've enjoyed forever and he's now getting old, to try and get that young horse that will be, you'll grow up with, you'll, will last you for the rest of your life. The, I would advise buying the horse that you can enjoy when they step off the trailer. Um, you know, and that if so you have- the formula again for the age that you just gave us? Kids and horses age should add up to 21 at okay. least. So if you're over 21, we don't have one for an older adult. We need- We'll to make a list. <laughs> It'll be negative credits. <laughs> Um, so uh, in the top mistakes that people make, in addition to the buying at first sight is buying at auction. Now there are internet auctions, there are Mustang auctions. And, you know, unless you can be a gambler and throw the money away, you know, that's, a, 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 in, you know, usually a very, very bad choice. Uh, another bad one is buying a horse for color. We don't drive a car's paint. And it's the same sort of thing that people, this is what I see the most frequently when I'm saying mistakes that people make. I, I bet you it's resonating with some people already, but this is the thing that I see the most common that people will say, I've always wanted a dot, dot, dot. And that may be a paint. It may be a Frisian, whatever the fashion is. Not just color, it's also hair. Yeah. And you know that I want an, an horse from Europe. I want an Irish horse. And if you don't really know, if you've never owned an Irish horse, then you probably don't know that they are barroom brawlers. Uh, they live in herds. They don't haven't learned to cross tie. They're really good at head butting people. They can break your nose. You see the crooked nose here. Um, so look, the clients that I've had that have imported horses from Ireland they needed a lot of help because the horse was a bully and I, and they're not mean at heart. They just can see that you're, you don't know what you're doing and I know what I want. Um, so in that kind of look, I've always wanted a fill in the blank. Why? Um, I've always wanted a Frisian because I love their movement and because they're everywhere um, as opposed to I like how the movement feels. I mean, if you can honestly answer that, fair enough. I've that always wanted to do because I like hair care products. Right. <laughs> and I've always um, enjoyed, uh, I've always wanted the weanling. Shake wool. Have you ever had experience with one? Have you ever handled one? Have you ever been through the bratty uh, post weaning stage? Have you been through the bratty two-year-old stage? Have you been through the bratty three-year-old stage? Yeah. Four, five, and six. Five, six, yeah. Um, so anyway, and I think the other, then that's the, the other end of that spectrum is that people turning down the older horse 
you know, that uh, 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 the older horse that packs and knows how to do their job means you can have fun. And, you know, that definition of what's older depends on what you want to do with them. Um, in eventing, the horses aren't five and six years old the way they are in the quarter horse industry. And so they start to get the top dollar for resale at eight, nine years old. They're still usable at 14. Um, so, but buying a 19 year old horse, there's nothing wrong with that. Your price is going to be realistic and you're going to be able to go and have fun. You know, well, so and horses are living so much longer now. I'm, I mean, I, you and I can remember back in the seventies, a 19 year old horse was ancient and you know, you, you, it was on death's door. And now a 19 year old is, yeah, I got another 10 years. <laughs> yeah. And, um, my beloved horse, um, who was a Trucaner thoroughbred cross. Um, he lived till he was 32. He did Piaf three days before he died. He took kids cross country the week before. He never had a hawk injection. Um, and I started preparing to be sad at when he was 21. I was prepared for him to die any day now. And that it was all borrowed time. I did take him out of competing cross country and hunter pacing when he was 24, but he still did pirouettes and you know, gave a lot of clinics cross country. So I, that age part is not to be underestimated. And then um, this the, for the home kept horse, I think something I also see that's a common mistake is people underestimating the dietary needs um, and, and the safety part of it. They don't realize how unsafe it can be. Uh, so that, you know, I didn't know, I tied him to, I didn't know he didn't tie so I tied him and he took the wall down. He tipped the trailer over, you know, so that those kind of thing that you tend to do without guidance. Uh, and the same with nutrition. I see a lot of really malnourished horses um, that are in the home setting. And I'm not disparaging home settings at all. I could only afford to have my horses because I had them at home. Um, but when I see issues where people really don't have a lot of knowledge, that's something I often see that the feet are too long, and the nutrition, the coat quality is bad. Um, and either the you bring up a really good point about keeping a horse at home and boarding, because while you have it at home, the expense is more time than money. And when you board it, it's more money than time. In right. other words, if your goal is to ride every day, having your horse at home may not result in you riding every day because there's fencing and there's feed and hay and all these things that you have to they always do. get loose in February when there's three feet of snow. Right. Um, and you have to slog the water buckets in the snow and the ice. And, you know, what if the horse gets sick and it's the winter time and you don't have a trailer? Whereas if you're boarding, you're, you don't have as much contact time with your horse in terms of day to day, but the opportunity to ride will be greater because all of the management is largely taken care of. Right. And so for me, the transition from having horses at home from when I sold my place to being the drive-by instructor that, you know, here's the mean instructor lady that I had to change how I greeted horses because I no longer had them at home. And I didn't realize how much of my training was about having, relating to them, feeding them, playing with them. And instead I changed to this mean lady that showed up with a watch going and, and the clients are the same way. They, in their one hour, they want that horse to sweat. Uh, and so 
I really got interested in a lot of the stuff the Sharon Wilsies and the people that you've had on your program because I didn't like this place that I was in where I prefer them when they're home and, and, in, and turned out instead of in boarding scenarios. But I certainly learned a lot to be able to make a big difference for a lot of horses in those kind of settings. So um, just jumping to the pricing business, the market is uh, really great for sellers right now. I mean, for, um, yeah, it's like, it's like houses people selling, not buyers. It was that one thing COVID did was every the riding is an outdoor sport. And so when you look on a lot of the classic websites, the ad numbers are down. Um, and so in other words, COVID's resulted in a lot more horse ownership. Yes. And so fewer horses on the market. Um, so in the fall, there may be a horse dump out West because of the drought, people that keep horses in herds, um, Mustang sales. I, I predict that you will see a, a, a price drop in the fall. But you know, like like art, horses you know are worth what people are willing to pay. You know, so if you did an ad for a horse in the Midwest, you could do you could advertise him for you know thirty five hundred dollars if it was um, advertised as the Humane Society is about to take him. He's going to be free. But if you market him for an East Coast woman, that's seven thousand. So you know where you live. Um, is going to affect the price and you know the some of the sources will also affect the price the you know fox hunters now are like 25,000 um, um, the, the less expensive horses the thoroughbreds are now between five and off the track or like 10,000 now uh, between five and ten thousand dollars because that that discipline has done a really good job of rehoming thoroughbreds and marketing them and doing competitions to, to do makeover, thoroughbred makeovers. Uh, but before you could get them for a song. Um, for some of the Western horses with the same ancestry of paints and quarter horses and Appaloosas, Appaloosas are wicked cheap right now, but they can be registered. They can be registered in the paint and quarter horse registry. They're just not fashionable right now. So, you know, that's sort of for the pony club. I just looked up on, on the website and um, there's a, was a 15 year old horse in Virginia that the C3 level, which means they can jump three, seven, I think. Um, and that they can go cross country and all of that kind of stuff. And they can do dressage to first level 15,000 um, for a 15 year old. So, you know, I mean, the prices, um, you know, it's worth having a dabble because if you're going to be playing on the website, you should go ahead and do that. So that brings us to sort of the sources of looking for horse. Word of mouth is like your best, your best and you know, safest way of doing it because if you use a local network, you're less likely to be ripped off because everybody's going to know they did that to you. Uh, so your blacks. Well, just to start the conversation on on this part. Uh, it is a buyer beware market. Absolutely. Uh, there is no uh, organizing body. There is no regulation on selling horses. There's no, uh, uh, let's put it this way, honesty in advertising um, or marketing is everything. And that's the other thing is that marketing is everything. And I, I have some ads to read. We'll get, yeah, I know you're, we'll, I'm gallop, sure. we'll gallop through that. But in the, 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 you must be able to link the horse that you're interested in 
back to someone you trust. So if I call a friend that hunts, that tells me about a friend in Virginia, and I call her and she tells me of a horse she knows, and I know the field, you know, I don't know their master, but I, he knows the master in the hunt that I've hunted with. That's a good way of connecting the dots to know that what you're getting is being is as advertised. Um, so, or did they were not advertised word of mouth. Um, backyard horses, kids off to college, the 4-H office, uh, ads that say divorce forces sales are really good ones. Yeah. Um, Mr. Right going to drop the price to get the sale done. Um, good to write home, to, to the right home is also a good thing to see in an ad because they do care and they will often take the horse back if it doesn't work out for you. They may be asking this much because the kid is being forced to sell the horse before they go to college. And the kid is really hoping that the parents will let them take the horse to college. So they put a price on that's not going to sell and they may sell the horse if they find the right home. Now I've had a placement that was half the asking price and it was embarrassing to do the, well, this is all I have, but that worked out. So in lesson programs, the local pony club, the local hunt and tax store ads uh, are good resources. And then trainers, if you're gonna compete, go to the kind of competitions you wanna go to. So if it's mounted archery, if it's dressage or hunters, that word of mouth through trainers is a very, very good network. It, it is buyer beware. There's also the gossip part about people ruining a sale. I wouldn't ride that horse. He's not, you know, he's all, he's had line for years. I mean, that is very chronic that that happens where sales are tanked uh, between trainers. So, you know, buyer beware, but they do have valuable connections. And when you do purchase one, you're going to pay for those connections. There's a commission fee that gets associated with certain kinds of sales. Um, so they were actually sometimes get a ruling so that in, uh, that the commissions were actually public. Did that ever go through? I don't know, um, but the buyer beware part is that you are clear upfront what the commission is and that sometimes what happens is that here's what the seller asked. And so she turns the horse over to her trainer and then her trainer calls somebody that is an agent. And then that agent has a prospective person. Each of them is gonna get a percentage on top of that. What the owner gets is not gonna be anywhere near what the horse was on the market for. So in 81, the horse that was uh, for sale for $14,000, you know, I got for $4,000 because I went to, to the owner. I went to the owner, I cut all, all the other people out. Is that ethical? Hey, I got a horse. <laughs> so is it okay to ask what the commissions are gonna be on a sale? You should have it in writing. Okay. You should have but it in writing. Something to, to protect yourself is to make sure that that is Right. declared. So um, the sales barns and agents, a sales barn is somebody that represents sellers, um, other trainers to move the merchandise. And a, an agent may be just a stopping point uh, to keep the horse exercised for selling. So it's a little bit different. The sales barn that I'm thinking of, David Hopper in New York, he's been in business for, from time immemorial, I mean, I'm, my chronicle of the horse ads, he's run a continuous ad since the 70s. And he specializes in um, jumpers and equitation horses. At any given time, they have 10 horses in training. 
the average time that the horses are there are at four months. Their job is to make them solid citizens and to pair them either with a trainer that's going to continue the training and then eventually uh, hand it off to the client or to the amateur um, uh, non-pro or junior rider. And they move horses, beautiful quality horses. Some of their horses are from Europe, some they represent breeders. So that's kind of the difference between a sales barn and then an agent, maybe somebody in Europe that you can trust where you can get the horse seeing it only on videos and they'll take care of the shipping and they're representing breeders and um, different registries over there. So I have a friend that got two horses from Europe that she never rode and they were brilliant horses because she had a very good agent. So then the internet, <laughs> the internet, um, where the internet auctions, I fell in love with rescuing a Mustang. If you have a, the ability to have a horse at home and you're interested in a lot of liberty work, there's certainly an opportunity to have fun with that, but still the safety part, make sure you understand that, you know, get, that you have the advice so that you can stay safe making that kind of choice. Um, and so all the, you know, the internet of um, Equine Now, Dream Horse, they do them by disciplines, barrel racing. There's a gazillion disciplines that you can click on. Um, and again, that interactive, because I want a cross country horse, that horse may not be able to hunt well because he doesn't like going at Mach 10 with being surrounded by 20 horses, but he might be really fun for eventing. So those terms that when, when you start looking at the different disciplines, they're not necessarily um, in, what do you call it? What word? Wendy, in, interrupt me. I've word. lost it. I've Interactive, lost it. Uh, uh, interchangeable. Thank you for your help. <laughs> and, and, you know, in some ways you have to think about horse shopping online is like looking at houses online. They're going to show you the best part and they're not going to show you the falling down ceiling and the water leaks and, you know, the driveway that needs to be reworked. They're, they're in theory, they're going to show you the best part of that horse. And it is up to you to make sure you have your list of questions to ask them before you invest a lot of time and travel to see the horse. I mean, it's, you really got to do your homework. So I'm going to, um, the final thing for sources is publications. So breed publications, Morgan News, uh, American Quarter Horse, by Discipline, Master of Foxhounds of America, Covert Side, Eventing USA. There are ads in there. Um, you can place ads and that kind of stuff. So, you know, for the next, I don't know how much time we have left, but in the, um, the, the, the steps you take before, you, you know, you've now done the, you've found a source, You've got a list of horses. You know, my recommendation is to try, try, try to find local so that if you do find the horse that you like, you can make many trips back to ride. And if you find the dream horse across the country, go out for a week then so that you can ride multiple times in the week. So one of the things that's really important to emphasize is that the price of the horse is the smallest investment part, right? So you've got You've got shipping, you've got boarding, you've got training, you've got equipment, you've got veterinary care, you catastrophic know, catastrophic care, catastrophic care, um, 
that if you're spending years trying to repair a horse because you didn't do your homework ahead of time, just think of the loss of enjoyment as well as the loss of finances. So, you know, doing your homework ahead of time is so important. It really is. And, and, I, and I'm going to go into what that homework is, but the, yeah. in the auction scenario, often horses end up there because they're unusable. Uh, or they've either been injured um, they, or they may be sound, but they're dangerous. And a lot of times they're in a helpless posture because they're traumatized from being at an auction site. And though the, what you uncover that they don't like when you bring them home. Uh, and that's why the auction can be so dangerous. There, you know, in some of these sales barns, we'll have a thing where if you don't like the horse, you can return it in 30 days, but you don't get your money back. You can pick another horse from their sales site. Um, there were some famous ones in Connecticut that, you know, if you could- Well, and that health assessment is so important because uh, a long time ago, I thought I would, I, I found this husband horse in West Virginia and it was an Appaloosa and I brought him home and we fixed his teeth and fixed his feet and gave him some food and he was not a husband horse anymore. Anymore. <laughs> And when I got my ponies, my daughter's first pony, I tried to kill my child. Um, he, he had been standing in a straight stall for three years. He was underweight. He only got turned out every other day in an indoor arena. Prior to that, he'd had a bowed tendon. And he was so weak that I had to hold his halter when we walked. And so after a month, I, had, I could hold his halter when he trotted. And when he got fit enough to do the canter, I got a pony clubber to ride him. After that first canner, he gave that look um, and he was a rip snorting pony after that. He never went back to the saggy lipped, <laughs> I'm going to fall over horse. Uh, so a lot of that, you know. Forgotten his name. Yeah, that was Lexington. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the reading the ads, sort of a, an overview, the, the selection is best in the fall and spring, but the prices are cheaper before and during winter. You also will see better prices in, you know, September will be the kids going off to college, trying to get rid of it. They'll start it early. September, they start getting panicky. So September is another time to be able to either maybe do a, a lease for them. You know, like you, you haven't sold the horse for the price that you want, but all lease with option to buy or something like that. So for, for best practices for suitability, we could go on for hours about that. For first timers, take lessons at the place that you intend to board the horse. Lease a horse from them if you can, so that you can see what the time thing is going to be. Uh, buy local and buy in a network. Uh, for the return to riding people, um, visit the potential boarding facility. Make sure you like the trainer. If you just sort of, oh, I like this place. They have lots of shaving, but you haven't actually owned the horse. Where it's, suddenly it becomes a, a sometimes a conflict about what's best for the horse, what you want for the horse and what is the reality of the barn that you're in. So it's really uh, important to go there on a, on a regular basis at odd intervals to see what's going on, like unannounced walk-ins. And if a barn will not let you have an unannounced walk-in, do walk not <laughs> run, run rapidly. Now they can have hours and that's reasonable. Okay. People don't want you showing up 24 seven, but you should be able to come in during normal hours. Anytime you like. Yeah. 
So for the ads, prices, if, if it says inquire for price, that means you can't afford it. <laughs> um, and a lot of sellers don't like tire kickers. Don't call unless you're, you've done your homework and you're ready to start practicing buying a horse. Um, and I do recommend that people practice, even though you're not 100% ready, but I don't recommend practicing on a horse that you're not remotely interested in. Right. Okay. So when somebody says in about the price that it's priced in the low four figures, really the horse is cheap and they're just trying to make them sound expensive. If the, if the ad says the price is located in Aiken, Ocala or Wellington, it's triple the price of anywhere else. Um, if the price says just imported, that means we paid a boatload of money and we can't ride him. Yeah. <laughs> the New England Dressage Association has a lot of members that donate their horses to a college road riding program, um, Johnson and Wales. And those horses are magnificent imported horses from Europe, but none of the owners could ride them. The movement was too big. They had the warm blood attitude. Uh, warm bloods often called dumb bloods uh, because of their ability to go, Are you talking to me? And really they have huge egos. They don't see like, I heard you, I'm not answering. You know, like you're, you're beneath my worth, but they come off as being slow <laughs> because they're just taking their time answering you. So um, size, if you're looking for, if, uh, if you see the, the, again, low to the ground is good after a certain age of yes. uh, small horses can have giant barrels. I see consistently people that buy too much horse that means from an energy level, but also size that the, you know, I've had clients where when I've done the training and I've put on better quality of movement with more suspension, they can't ride it. And so, you know, my, my job is to try and keep the training just a hair above their ability level so that I can upgrade their skills is what I attempted to do. The horse to take a good moving horse and flatten out all its gates because you can't ride them. Because you can't ride it. You actually make them lame. You will. <laughs> and you will instinctively do the protect the viscera posture when you feel jostled out of the saddle and which is like not exactly in the middle. So for size, you know, when you see an ad that says should mature over 16 hands, it means it's currently 14 hands. The dam was 14.2, the sire was 15.3 and for 18, 28 generations, it was never over 15.3. But this horse is gonna defy DNA and somehow grow into the size. Uh, still growing um, can mean um, he's getting fatter, <laughs> even though he's topped out at 14.2, uh, but the ability to take up leg is a good one. I, were there, are there any um, chat comments that am I, am There's I a comment about gated horses for older riders and they're, they're a wonderful market for them. Um, they can, the price has gone up a lot because of our age demographic. There's so many of us. So Rocky mounted horses, Missouri trotters, you know, I mean, they're very popular. The price is good out West. And if you're going to do that route of going out West, go to an Airbnb for a week so that you can repeat, see the horse and try and find it from a network you know about. Um, type and temperament, that could be a whole yeah. another thing, but in the, um, can be pushy on the ground you sometimes see. That means that he sees humans as uh, treat vending machines and um, he took a chunk out of the caretaker's arm last week. <laughs> so not marish means unless she's in season, which is seven times a year. 
or more <laughs> or more right personality plus means he's not going to exert any more energy than he has to unless he put a carrot up his nose <laughs> so, um loves people prefer prefers them seasoned with a dash of carrots yes <laughs> So these are all things that are supposed to tell us that it's a that it's suitable type or temperament for us. And again, if you've seen Wendy's webinars on the um, five elements horses, yeah, with Kim Bell, really fabulous uh, series, because you can't. You know, there are consistent types, and there can be bad types together. So if you're a boundary setting rider on a horse that that. Uh, can't resist pushing boundaries. You're going to have to pick your battles. You know, sometimes that. Um, so, you know. so somebody says it sounds like the internet dating codes. <laughs> I <laughs> am stealing that line. <laughs> but it's swipe really left, swipe left. And and the thing that so often happens with the rider that has not ever owned a horse and is an adult, and the one returning is that you're at an emotional age when you were denied that horse, whether that's 10, 12 you know, right out of college. And, and so it's so important to recognize that there's an emotional component and then an adult component. And the adult really needs to be looking at what you wrote down and evaluating it from the adult perspective of you're 65 and you want the two-year-old horse that's going to be 17 hands and 1800 pounds and you're a five foot tall 100 pounds soaking wet person because emotionally this will probably be the last horse i have right <laughs> like you know so uh, i'm going to come back to that and i'm, I'm sort of conflicted about the <laughs> homework that you should do before you go horse shopping but inevitably people are horse shopping before they do the homework right and so in in do, looking at this when it says husband horse that means a fuzzy elephant good luck getting him to trot right may have never cantered in his life a potential husband horse is if your husband's a jockey yes. <laughs> So potential danger, danger signs, potential prospect, those words. Great potential warning sign, like, like full stop. Danger, danger. Right. <laughs> not go there. Um, so health sound means when he's not lame. Um, always sound means he hasn't been ridden for a year and he looks sound in the pasture when he's grazing. Flex that hawk. <laughs> yeah. Needs some maintenance means you better be rich. Um, <laughs> great feet, but too bad about the bowed tendon. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, recently vetted, someone else found out that, that something was really wrong with him, you know, and vet yeah, check welcome. That recently vetted is get the x-rays. If they took radiographs, get yes. permission to contact the vet who did them and talk to them about those radiographs and then have your vet look at them. Don't so just vet check welcome means please pay for us to find out what's wrong with him. So, <laughs> I'm going to jump down from this section, which, you know, there's, there's more on type and temperament and energy level, health and experience um, movement, but I'm going to jump to the part about the pre-visit and the pre-visit. Um, and if uh, it depends on when we get the, you know, the hook to go um, for how long we'll go on for, but I want, this is important for this, the homework, cause we've talked about it a couple of times. Videos and photos, review with experts. That's with your vet, with your instructor, with your neighbor, get everybody to weigh in and write down what they say. 
Right. So <laughs> um, then you're going to, before you visit, you're going to screen over the telephone. And if the ad had show, show credentials, because you're interested in that, you're going to look up the show credentials. So if it's an eventing horse, it will have a USEA number. Um, and you want to see, got eliminated, got eliminated, got eliminated, came in sixth, won. So there's a learning curve with that horse. This is not a turn the key packer that when that rider finally connected, they were able to do well. And you'll often see in the eventing world, um, a prelim horse. That means that they've gone through the very lowest levels of novice, um, the big beginner, beginner, novice, novice, and then prelim and prelim is like three, 11, whatever it is. Um, but it often means that the professionals and the upper level riders know the horse can't do the job, that it has courage issues. And so people will say, I got a horse that's going prelim, often means it's a reject at that level. And if you are already, you know, the, the, with pony clubbers, they're often were on a budget. So we were always trying to find those diamond in the roughs. Um, so the screen of the, the, there's gonna be questions to ask and you are going to write a script. And you're going to write a script that asks specifics because when you get on the phone, you'll do the, blah, 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 blah. Um, you're going to, um, you're gonna not feel stupid about asking for details. So you're gonna ask if they can, if you can have a trial, what the experience, what disciplines it does. You're gonna ask about the health, the shoeing, the breed specifics, the fitness, the suitability, the personality type, the quirks and vices, um, handling and behavior with other horses. So things that you will, when you are on the phone, you're gonna be aware of danger signs. And when you go, there'll be danger signs when you get answers of, well, not with me or not that I know of. You know, those are the, the buyer beware. If you don't get an answer, you know, circle that you want to somehow see if you can find that out. So some questions, is the seller the owner? Oh, it's a huge question. Huge question. If it's the agent, if it's an agent or a trainer, can I speak with the owner? And if you speak with the owner, um, how long had the owner had the horse? What's the reason for the sale? If it's with a seller, how long has the seller known the horse? It's kind of hard to believe that a horse is kid broke if the sellers only had him for three days. So if the ad says seller for three months and they've owner only had him a month. Right. So that kind of timeline, um, if the ad says, you know, five-year-old can ride him, show me, put a five-year-old on or the, over the phone. Would you put your five-year-old grandchild child on? Um, so trial, you know, that is there a trial period? Sometimes you can put a deposit down that will go towards the purchase price that you will lose after a trial period, and that's for the post visit. This is way before you get excited about going to the barn. This is the homework part. Um, you're gonna ask the, in the experienced training and disciplines, what has the horse done today? So, you know, that he used to be, mm -hmm. uh, and last week, <laughs> my trainer got, the trainer got bucked off. So he was, he's schooling three nine, but he actually hasn't been ridden for a week because, you know, the rider can't ride. Um, and again, these sounds like terrible questions to ask. And if you're going to be dealing with uh, sales barns and agents and stuff, they, you know, you need to protect yourself. Well, 
And another option, Allie, is if you don't feel capable of asking these questions, have your spouse make the phone call. They don't <laughs> know horses, so right. they're going to ask them in a read the list. way, and you are sitting there taking notes on what the answers are. Just pop them on speakerphone. It's <laughs> an excellent idea. You ask the basic question, does it walk, trot, and canter? Yes. You'd be surprised the number of times that that, you know, didn't see it on the day of the trial or only saw the left day. I actually never asked whether he could walk, trot, and canter. If the photos have the horse in boots, ask for photographs of the legs without them. So is if the horse is registered, do you have the original papers? Not, not copies. Do you have the original papers? Can you send them? So, and then the, can the vet records be looked at? That was Wendy's point before that, is he currently sound? Has he had past soundness issues or chronic issues? You know, when was the most recent x-rays? Can they be viewed? How many vets do you use? Like, can we have a swap That's team? That's a really good question. <laughs> they come yeah. back with 10, you're in A manicurist, he has his MagnaWave person, he has his teeth flow. But finding out about the body workers in addition to the vets is a really good point. And who the farrier is. Because it will tell you that the horse is well cared for and it will give you another network. Um, has the horse ever been medicated? I don't, you know, whether it's supplements, whether it was for allergies, has it been medicated? And you, you know, obviously you may not get answers to all of these, but for, does it have ongoing management, hock injections, ulcers, allergies, um, and diet, what does it eat? You know, when, when uh, one, of, one of the horses was looking out for 16 pounds of grain a day, it's like broke the bank. You know, when I had horses in for training, I'm like, like figuring out the finances based on what my guys were eating. And um, so, you know, what the supplements, any special needs, like you have to wet his hay. Is he an easy keeper? Is he a picky eater? You really need the script because you'll forget to ask these questions. And so if the person doesn't want to answer, if they start getting shirty about so many questions, just hang up. Yeah. You know, if they won't answer your questions, then you do not want that horse. Yeah. Um, fitness level, the current level. Can you hunt them tomorrow? You know, so when something's billed as a hunted last season, well, the season ended in December and now it's May. <laughs> you know, um, when was the last time he was fit? December. Um, what riding schedule does this horse need? And that's that analogy of the border collie. You know, the horses that need to be ridden five days a week, otherwise they lose their mind and they're certifiably insane. Um, or the one that gets yanked out that tends to be quarter horses on the weekends, the weekend warriors that can do have a mind that lets them do that. You're gonna ask about shoeing, the types of shoes and why. Yes. Um, the, the shoeing schedule, every five weeks, every eight weeks, um, has he ever been barefoot? How did he do? Um, and again, pictures of the feet, legs, quirks and vices. Um, ask for specifics. What is his worst behavior for starters? And then does he weave? Does he crib? Does he, you know, paw? Does he rear? Does he strike out? Does he spook? Does he stand tied? Does he pull back? Can he be handled by kids? You know, so that, well, I wouldn't pull there. You, you know, I mean, that doesn't mean that you as the potential 
owner wouldn't be able to handle him, but it might be meaningful if you're expecting your own children to help with help horse care. So um, trailering, does he need company on the trailer? Does he have, does he scramble? Is he steady on the trailer? Have you trailered him? Yeah. Um, with other horses, what's his current turnout? Is he good with other horses? Um, some horses have no social skills. A lot of the PMU horses um, often don't have skills with humans where they'll knock you flat because they don't, didn't learn about boundaries from their mare. And so they also are the ones that sniff the mare's butt and then act kind of surprised when she kicks them because they didn't learn any of that from their mother or in a herd setting. So um, when you, before you get there, um, the, um, you, you can ask them about personality type and temperament. You're gonna hear words like he's a puppy dog. Um, you might hear more woe than go. You know, they're gonna make it. know what the barn name is. Is it oh, Ninja? You know, oh, the registered name is Buttercup, but we call him Ninja in the barn. Right. <laughs> Sharky. <Yeah. laughs> um, so before you the visit, you're going to request that I want to see him in his turnout. I want to see him brought in from his turnout. And if they don't have turnout, then I want to see him in his stall. Please do not exercise him before I get there. And, and I am planning to assist with the grooming and the tacking. That's, you're upfront about that that's what you're gonna do. So, um, I, should we go on? Early ahead of the time you said. Then you said. Um, so again, with the visits, try and stay local, go and see it and ride it, ride it multiple times. Uh, getting a visual assessment of the muscle symmetry, that's a whole thing that we could talk about, but the idea, if you're not sure what to look at, take pictures of its legs, its feet from behind, from in front, from the side, and take it for show and tell to people you trust. Um, go with the seller to the turnout. What's the horse's reaction? Did the horse go, I don't see you, this is my butt, and I'm not turning around? Was the horse hard to catch? Did the horse come over and knock the trainer? Is he easily caught? I think I could be nice about that. Were his, were his ears pinned? Was he social? That's the polite euphemism for, do you have carrots? No. In the stall, check for kick marks. Check for paw marks. Does he dig to China? Is this a horse that's bored with confinement? And maybe you can give them the luxury of not having that kind of confinement if you can find the right place to board or bring them home. Um, on the trial ride, don't believe what they say, show me. So whatever they've said, horse jumps 311. You don't have to be the one that jumps 311. They jump 311. Oh, he had new shoes, his feet are sore. You know, then can I come back? You know, that kind of, and you don't have to do the snippy body language that I just did. <laughs> well, you could behind the scenes. <laughs> your mind could be doing that. And with the mask on, it's really good because your mouth can be going. <laughs> um, Okay, so whatever they, they say it can do, can he jump, dressage, um, you know, um, show the canter and the leads. Cannot tell you the number of time people have gotten horses home and they've got one lead, but not the other. Or they had their best rider on it that managed to school it the, to death the day before that got the canter on the day that you were there. Um, so, Another thing I really like is ask the rider to go wicked fast and then really slow. And what happens? Does the horse walk off flat-footed 
or is he on amphetamines afterwards? Did he did it get him amped up? Um, so that how does he manage his adrenaline and cortisol levels? Uh, because sometimes what you see might be most often what you get, but when they get into danger zone where they're on an adrenaline rush, the fire breathing dragon, you may not have experience with that. Um, and you know how much uh, of a caretaking do you need? That's where you have to be realistic. And for me right now, I, um, I cannot ride the young horse that I'm working. Um, he's, he's been worked in hand and all of that kind of stuff, but I can't ride him until I see somebody else on him because I promised my children I will never do that again. And I know because I was looking for, um, you know, I mean, the, just, now let me get on, now let me get on, let me just do it, that I don't know how I'm going to sit a spook in a rear. I've been on a spook and I've been on a little mini buck, but I haven't been on the sun fishing number and I hope never to be on yeah, one. I hope not, okay. Um, someone you. has a question. They said, I'm looking to adopt a companion only, no riding, older horse to do liberty work, uh, horse speak, groundwork, any specific questions I should ask the rescue organization? Some of the rescue organizations are absolutely marvelous. There's one in Vermont that it's hard to get horses. I think it's Gerda's Rescue. And they'll do a thing. If it doesn't work for you, bring them back. And so that's, those are the kind of rescue organizations that I would advise working with are the ones that are really interested in rehoming the animal. And then, you know, the, in the assessment, you still, if you have a social friendly horse that's going to see you as the human vending machine, and step all over you, that, that can be a problem. And so you, you, to have a horse that's been around the block um, rather than um, I rescued this horse because his owner died and I felt bad for him. There's that, um, whatever situation they're going to fit into as the companion horse, again, it comes back to who else is feeding them. Um, but one of the things really important if you're getting adopting a rescue horse, you want to make sure that that horse can go back if it doesn't get along with the companion. In other words, you can get one that you think is they're going to get along great and you bring it home and they're like, you know, absolutely not. Right. right. And now you have two completely isolated horses. So just check out the return policy. Um, any reputable organization would have a, a return policy where you can bring it back, you know, find another one that's going to be right. more and just think about the groceries. Think about what your pocketbook is for groceries because some of these rescue horses may require a lot. You might want to get something smaller. Um, think about your manager. The one that yeah. lives on air. And so those financial considerations are part of your self-assessment and they do count in the rescue horse. That, um, you know, if he's missing teeth, will you have to get special hay right. that he can gum? You know, all of that sort of thing. And right. I'm totally for it. If you have property um, and are interested in liberty training and all of that stuff, which I'm really, I really love all of that sort of stuff. It's so nice to be able to do a give back. But I've seen the PMU horse go wrong. I've seen, you know, I've seen scenarios where it, it eventually worked out, but man, was it expensive. Yeah. Yes. Um, and she's saying, Pasifino, one of the things you have to realize is if you have a three-gated horse and you bring in a, a gated horse like an Icelandic or a Paso, a lot of times it's sort of like cultural differences and they may not get along because they don't speak the same language. Um, so you, you know, really consider your, the one that you have and what that horse is like 
so that you can have a companion that they'll get, you know, that'll mix, that'll work well together. That'll, um, because I've seen some horses where you have a different breed and it's a really different style horse and they move funny and right. it upsets them. Yeah. And I see repeatedly in, in herd settings where the gray horse is the yeah. outcast because the predators can see him at night. You we know, saw when we were trekking in New Zealand, we all the horses were turned loose at night and the dark horses shunned the gray horses, which had to band together because they would not accept them. They were too, too bright. That's right. Yeah. Um, so in the post visit, you're going to ask for repeat rides and at different times of day. And then, then the next step will be vetting. Um, you, you don't use their vet. A young horse should be clean from energy, injuries and an older horse will have history. It's just, you know, that they go, that, you know, just part of the deal. Draw blood for a drug screen. Don't run the test. Don't pay to run the test, but draw the blood. That'll scare away a lot of bad apples and if you think that the horse was not represented, then run the test. Yeah. So if, if there's a, you know, you only have X amount of days to test. I'm not, I'm not sure how long with that vacutainer you can keep that. That's a question to ask your vet. How long can they, you know, do they, you know I don't know what they have to do. You can just ask them the question on the phone. I would want to draw a blood test for drugs. Yes. If they start freaking out on the phone, hang up. <laughs> so... Um, but you you may need it as legal recourse. So horses that ride sound. Uh oh, you froze, Allie. Allie. Uh oh. She's she's not gone because it hasn't blanked out. But I don't know where she went. Found mm -mm. um, at their level that you want them to that don't pass a flexion test or not the front end flexion test. There's variation. You, you went away. froze. So just. We, you froze at the end of blood test. So just pick okay. it up. Um, if, if a horse fails a flexion test, it's not necessarily a thumbs down. Lots of horses, if somebody holds my arm behind my back really in a hold, it's gonna be tight. The older the horse, the more that's going to affect them. And you can have horses that have clean x-rays that will fail the flexion tests. Many x-ray abnormalities will show up uh, and the horses will be clinically sound. So it's that no longer do vets say pass or fail. They will ask you for intended use and they will give you a report card of what they found um, about the suitability for the, jo the intended job. So if you can get a trial, which please, please try and get a trial with the down payment and a contract, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. If you're leasing, there's a lease contract. You get a written agreement of for the least thing with what's allowed and all of that, you know, and you might have to have an insurance policy, blah, blah, blah. Um, but you get a, the, you, you're gonna negotiate the price. You may have wiggle room between five and 15%, or you may find that good, you know, good to a good, you're not, not free to a good home, but looking for a good home uh, where there's wiggle room. Uh, it's harder in today's market so then you're going to get a dated bill of sale with a description, the price you paid, and the breed papers. You're going to give them a post-dated check um, until you get the horse home and that it is as billed. And then with the drug test that you, that you can say if it passed, it, it was drugged, then the contract is void and they have to return your money. I've seen the, you know, people where the shipper 
um, you know, caused damage, but whose fault was it? They didn't actually have a bill of sale. I've seen, I've had people get caught out where they bought from a seller and the seller didn't actually have permission to sell the horse. Mm. They didn't have a bill of sale. There's no recourse. So anyway, so that's the, um, the before and the homework part, which is the really serious part of this expression. Well, and just that, if someone says that they're gonna give you this horse, you still need a bill of sale, even if the sale price is a dollar. In fact, you have to make it something more than zero and you do want a bill of sale um, because otherwise there is no paper trail and they can come back and take the horse back anytime they choose. So, you know, decree, you know, that it's good that it said a dollar, <laughs> but at the same time that you will be required to pro pro provide legal proof of what you paid for the horse. Um, and if the horse is now 10 years old or there's wiggle room for that. So in, in, in interpreting these ads, in looking at energy level, if you see the words high strung, it means certifiably insane. If you see the word spirited, it means certifiably insane. <laughs> if you see the word competitive, it means he's impatient, he paws and he's antsy. Um, and by you. <laughs> uh, needs experienced rider certifiably insane. <laughs> um, and then the other ones, bomb proof, too mm -hmm. dumb to spook, conserves energy. Um, lots of pizzazz. Doesn't feel good. Doesn't feel good. And when you make him feel better, maybe full of lots of pizzazz, which means the, the, the behavior when a horse hasn't been out of the stall for four days, that one. Um, if you hear brave, that means he pulls to the fences and jumps out of pastures. Fun <laughs> means fast. Barrel racer means fast. Event horse means fast. <laughs> and faster. <laughs> Event horse means no breaks and goes over or through almost anything. Um, for sale due to lack of time, rider can't afford the hospital bills anymore. <laughs> you know? um, that can be a very realistic one, but sometimes it is. Like I got bucked off too many times. So in in their ex, in their experience level. Um, Ready for training? Oh, you missed one on the other is, um, uh, uh, what is it? Stand, some uh, stands up, but there's another way to say it, it means rears flips over backwards. <laughs> what is that? How do they do right? So that's what on your, put that on your questions list. Has he ever reared? But you also have to say, does he stand up? Because some people call rearing standing up. <laughs> yep. And, and you might think he does a lavade. <laughs> So anytime an ad says prospect, that means like, I'm sure you'll find something he's good at it, even if we couldn't. <laughs> so it doesn't mean that he has, there's any proof that he can do the intended job. Show prospect, basically four legs, a male and a mane and a tail. Um, and a mouth to feed. Could go pretty well. Jumped out of the pasture once <laughs> and it was a really big fence. Um, so field hunter prospect, I don't really know what field hunter means, but I took him in a horse show with Hunter under saddle once. Um, nicely started lunges, but, but we don't have enough insurance to ride him. Um, mature, older than rocks, dead broke, nearly dead, could cart a, a corpse around. Um, Has a good handle. <laughs> <laughs> push button, dangerous if you push the wrong buttons. <laughs> I remember riding one of Bettina Drummond's horses and I went to go adjust 
just my stirrup and I put my leg in front of the flap and the horse like went into Spanish walk across the arena. It's like, oh, push the wrong button. <laughs> you know, um, anyone can ride except the current owner. That's why he's for sale. <laughs> so um, potential to move up. My trainer and I had no luck moving him up, but maybe you will. <laughs> uh, dressage horse means overbent and much too large for you. <laughs> so, um, so confirmed second level, uh, did some leg yields once when we were trying to open a gate. Uh, field hunter, hunted once, needed lead over the fence and was excused from the field. You need to add Western ones like, uh, you know, the something about working with cattle and that sort of thing. Had a heart attack the first time and yeah. that was the end of that. Broke, broke, been broken, <laughs> flipped right. over backwards. <laughs> okay. So um, movement qualities, big trot, hasn't learned to canter yet. <laughs> um, good mover, well, hasn't fallen down recently. <laughs> <laughs> There's the three good gates and then that doesn't include the other four or five <laughs> gates we haven't identified yet. <laughs> See, we laugh at our own jokes. We are starting, we are starting to hit the point where um, okay. we're feeling comfortable enough to go into Ali Wendy speaker. <laughs> okay. Um, Careful jumper, over jumps every time or slams on the brake if you get ahead of him. Right. So, you know, those are trying to interpret some of the language, prospect and all of that. In their looks, if it says lots of chrome, that means they have white markings and that's probably the only thing that's good about them. The only good thing we and can say about them. they will get every skin disease on the planet mm -hmm. <laughs> and have weak feet. Yes, typey. He either looks like a quarter horse or a throw to bread, depends on the angle, you know. So people try and craft these ads for marketing to for us to go, oh, a thoroughbred type <laughs> or the whatever Frisian type. Um, so, you know, breed and lineage, that's a whole nother way of dealing with breeders and all of that kind of stuff. If it says homebred, that means it was a pasture, oops. <laughs> Flashy, there's another one. Very flashy, yeah. In other words, that often means no brakes. Yep. Um, there's a lot of, you know, barrel racing prospect. Whoa, God damn it, whoa. <laughs> um, not for beginners, uh, for rodeo, rodeo riders only. Uh, potential prospect green, big gates, experienced riders, currently in training with professional. That means the 15 year old kid down the road. Um, happy when working means you need to ride him six days a week. Um, so kids safe can mean kids have done really death-defying dangerous things and they then they survive. Um, I had a Potomac in, uh, a pony in Potomac, Maryland. Um, we used to put him in the middle of the pond and do the rope swing out on his back. So kids safe, yeah. <laughs> but um, he had every right to try and bite us in half. So, uh, you know, those are some of the uh, alarm words comfort for confident beginner I means scoots spins bucks and some of the uh, good words are the owner off to college uh, any of the pony club terms of d1 through d3 um, are good for a beginner uh, those are walk trot canner jumping up to two nine i think or two six maybe six. Um, and then the uspc level c3 is a horse that could go fox hunting as goes cross country they've now specialized so that you can if you can't do the cross country stuff there's that you can do a dressage trajectory and the old term was the traditional ratings 
levels, what is certification they now call, they don't call it ratings anymore, dating myself. So anyway, that's kind of the, um, in the you know, next steps for before you go shopping that may do your homework. And if you don't have somebody you're working with, find them first, you know, find that it, where you're going to board them, start taking lessons there so that you all find out before you get a horse that you don't like that person and you want to be someplace else. So, you know, in the, um, uh, funny that the, uh, the funny ads, uh, I mean, just the, the tears rolled out my face. I have, let me, um, share my screen just for a second, Wendy. I have um, your co-host. Okay. Maybe I can find it. Let me close the other things before okay. share the screen. Maybe. Okay. And go to the next. And now I'm, did I go away? Nope, not yet. Okay. Let's see. Go. Hello. Oh, there, there we go. go. Um, what do you mean? Boom. There. <laughs> so this is what we talked about. The, the self-assessment is huge. It's emotional. Um, you know, having your husband weigh in, <laughs> um, your friends weigh in is, is a really, it's a good growth opportunity. <laughs> uh, the reality of pricing and what you can pay. People usually pay for a horse what they'll pay for a car. So if you'll buy a Tesla, you'll, you're going to have fun. Um, if you're looking for that kid, that car for your 16 year old, that's 2,500 bucks. That tends to be what you'll buy. The, the making your lists of the trainer needs list and the owner wants and needs list should have as many common things as possible. And the trainer should override the things that aren't on the list that are um, potential poor choices. So the sources we talked about, the how to read ads, um, the buyer beware, the visit and the post visit. So this was the horses for sale by disciplines on equine.com. And these are current number of horses, but all of these disciplines, ranch horse, racing, gated. Uh, and then this was a great ad that somebody placed in a Facebook group of what they were looking for. So all around hunter jumper horse for young rider between six and 10 years old, 15, two to 16, three hands, give or take, must be easy to handle on the ground and an uncomplicated ride. Uh, and so there is a bit of unicorn, but at least they're very upfront about what they were looking for. And so I'm going to stop my share. Um, but that was the picture of the horse for what the description? Was? They were looking for a horse. So that they didn't, they posted an ad in a group where there's people selling that they were looking for a horse. And so that was that the unicorn picture that they put up. It would be a good exercise to write the ad with instead of reading the ad, write the ad that you would do for what you were looking for. Um, that, you know, and, and then your trainer can say, what can you do without? You could probably do without a 16 two hand horse. If you can go into the market for the smaller horse, there are a lot more of those available. So anyway, for the wrap up, were there any chat things that we? No, I, uh, people thought we were hilarious actually. <laughs> I thought we did a very good job about we kept it together. Just at the end there, we got a little bit. It wasn't too bad. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you know, it's like, it's so important to plan. And I think the bottom line of what you're talking about is you have to plan the journey of buying a horse, just like you want to plan 
anything else. So that there's a framework and an outline and you're not in that impulse buy, which is where so many people get in trouble is the impulse buy. Oh, he batted his eyes at me. Oh, I knew he was my horse from the first moment I saw him. You know, those... You know, you're going to fall in love with whatever horse you buy. Just make sure that it's a horse you can live with. Just think of, you know, you don't want to have to have a bad divorce six months later. Um, and and you, when you think that horses have, are like foster children, they have four, five, six, seven, eight homes. The good horses go to good homes. The ones that, and we can make good horses bad horses by our bad choices. And if we make a, if we rush into it, we can then make him have to have another family. I'm all for the forever horse, um, but that's not how the, the shopping, that's not what I keep in mind. Usually if I get a horse, they don't leave, <laughs> you know, but. Right. I mean, and that's that's the typical thing is the, that if you've made a bad choice, it is so difficult to part with that bad choice. There's so much self abuse of, oh, I'm a bad person, I'm a bad rider, I'm a bad, but sometimes it's just a bad choice that you made in the beginning. So rather than, go through that process of self-deprecation and abuse. Take the time to be prepared to find the horse that really is going to suit your price, your, your, your environment, your level of riding, your level of care, whether it's boarding or at home. Take the time now so that you don't wind up in that bad divorce. And there are wonderful resources for understanding horse personalities and suitability. I, I like the Bartow book, Yvonne Bartow, is that her name? Um, she did the Arabian Nights dinner show in Florida for a long time and then was a Grand Prix rider and dressage rider and trainer. Her book is, there's a lovely chapter on suitability. If you're fearful, don't get a fearful horse. Right. Uh, and so those resources are out there for you to self-educate. They're... Um, Lots of things about understanding personalities. I do a talk on personalities. What's the book title of uh, Bartow's book? Do you know? I think Ride the Right Horse. Oh yeah. And then, and then tomorrow I have Janet Jones coming, Horse Brain, Human Brain, which is going to give you a real insight into the neurology of how we interrelate. So, you know, and of course, go back and watch uh, Madeline Ward's Horse Personalities webinar and Kim Bowers, because temperament is, we want a temperament that matches. You know, if you get a really fire horse that's, and you're really a, a water person, that's going to be a conflict. Um, you know, if you're a very high energy person that wants to chill after work with your horse, get earth. <laughs> so those, uh, the five elements typing is just fabulous stuff. And there are also sort of the basic groups of is the horse an aloof horse? Does he see you as a window or a door? Most amateurs get social horses, the ones that want to look in for your pockets to see what you have. That doesn't mean that the social horse is going to be a good athlete if that's what you're interested in. But the fearful horse is one to be, if you can't make them have a safe place, you know, that's the business that you will be charged with if you take a fearful horse, is being able to create a new place of safety. And it's not something that you do just because you push a button. There's a lot of work with breathing that you have to do, and a lot of work with being grounded. So that's often not a good choice, the fearful horse. And the aggressive, confident horse that is a super athlete, but he bites, you know, that, that kind of stuff. That's also not an amateur 
a good choice for an amateur course. And again, out there, wonderful resources of all the different types um, that you can play with. And very often we fail to see in the horse what we fail to see in ourselves so that we wind up with a horse that reflects back to us some of the things we haven't addressed in ourselves. And it's such a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, ew, I don't want to address those things. And, and that was what you were saying, that people, there's a shame in saying it didn't work out instead of taking it as an opportunity to say, now I know I really I'm need the right job for the horse, this horse, really think about doing the best by that horse by finding the right personality and person for him. I mean, right. This Irish horse needs to run and jump and not just be in my pasture. And I got bucked off one too many times. So that I, that what you need and what you want, it's a tricky one. <laughs> you know? And it is about that self-reflection and um, that art form of being told what kind of temperament you have um, is really helpful when you do it in terms of five elements. My sister is a five elements acupuncturist for humans. And, you know, once you know, then you're okay with right. being who you are. It's, it's, it's good. And then being able to do that match of a personality that I know I have to pick my, be careful to pick my battles if I'm with a wood horse, because I am a wood horse. We're both competitive. We like having the last word. <laughs> so, and we know it all. Yeah. So. <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, <laughs> I think we'll wrap this up. Allie, this has been Absolutely. So much fun to have you on the show. Um, hey. Everybody's really, we've entertained everybody, which we're <laughs> good at. <laughs> have a long history of uh, entertaining people. <laughs> um, so I want to thank you and maybe we'll have you come back and do another webinar sometime. We can break down some of these topics and look a little deeper. Lots of fun. Thanks a million, Wendy. Big hug. Thank you so much for joining me and thank you everybody for watching. And Thanks, everybody. Janet Jones. It should be a fascinating webinar. So be sure to tune in. It's going to be at noon. So See you then. Take care. Bye.